Paul Tanzi is the guest on episode five of the Sales Change Podcast. Welcome along. Paul Tanzi is one of those really magnetic people in his company, Intergage, are built in his image. On this episode, we talk about the process of growing from a sibling partnership to employing over 30 people, the culture at Intergage, the values of how Intergage is run. We also talk about which is more important, sales or marketing. Digital marketing and innovation go hand in hand, but where do the ideas come from? Is youth a precursor for developing new ideas or does experience reign supreme? Paul's really big on supporting the local community, so we have a chat about how Intergage involve themselves with that. Intergage have done something really different to any other company that I know, and they've implemented flexible working or the four-day working week. We find out how that's going. Paul also answers the Sales Change 5 questions. Remember, sign up to the newsletter. It's at www.saleschange.co.uk. Rate us five stars. Leave me a comment on your podcast platform, and I'll try to get back to them all. Enjoy the episode. Welcome, Paul, to the Sales Change Podcast. So you work for Intergage. Tell me a bit about Intergage. Well, thanks, Matt. Uh, Intergage is a digital marketing business. Um, it basically does three things. We produce websites. Uh, we do digital marketing. And we're also expert in marketing automation. And we're a platinum reseller for HubSpot. And we're developing our own software in that field as well. How long have Intergage been going? 20 years. And you've so, been there the full 20 years? Not quite. Um, the first two years were really my brother in a shed. and yeah. uh, But when he emerged, blinking into the sunlight and said, look, I've created something to sell, <laughs> that was in February 2003, um, he needed somebody to go and sell it. And I was that person. So I joined as sales director initially and became managing director in the year 2006, 2007. So it's kind of like Apple in the sense that you created something in the garage and then moved and now you're, you're <laughs> flying. So how many people have you got working for you now? Nearly 30. And how has that growing process gone from you and your brother to... Well, it's it's funny. We've had to reinvent ourselves several times because uh, when my brother did emerge blinking into the sunlight, he, uh, he had written a software product. So initially we were a software company and our software was online software, so software as a service, if, if, you, li- if you like, that would, you would use to um, build, manage and market a website, a content management system, and it was well ahead of its time. So yeah. how has that growing process gone? We had to reinvent ourselves several times along the way because we started as a software business. In the year 2006, 2007, the software we'd created, a content management system that allowed ordinary mortals to um, to build, manage and market a website, really had started widely to become available as open source. So, you know, the very thing that we'd spent our, our entire life and business um, building yep. was now free of charge, which was a bit of a disaster. So the value that you had was now... Minimal. Yeah, a lot of people didn't see a value in buying our software when they could get free software, uh, like WordPress and Drupal and Joomla, yeah. uh, that did exactly that. So, yeah, that was a bit left field, uh, but we reinvented ourselves a couple of times along the way. We grew to, at one point, having 50 people. The business had two offices, 50 people, and it kind of started to develop, develop two different cultures. So we had an office in Hampshire and another one in Dorset, and it was definitely starting to appear with sort of them and us culture, and we didn't really need two offices. So we decided to go back to having one office where we could have one culture. Yeah, and what is that culture? Well, that culture, that's an interesting one. You see, we've been working really, really hard on our values. And so the first value that we, that we all hold is courageous honesty. And it's about having the balls to tell the truth, even when it's difficult. Um, And that's not only to customers, but to each other. 
And so one of the things we've been working on is is we worked with an external trainer to develop a training course for all our staff that we did uh, a couple of months ago internally to to talk about how courageous honesty was really important. And whenever I raise the subject, I get some interesting <laughs> interesting feedback. But uh, yeah, this really really important. so is that from the bottom all the way to the top honesty yeah. throughout the uh, yeah completely yeah. So do you hear from people? Have you got an open door policy? Is what I'm trying to say. Do you do you hear from people? from the bottom all the way to the top? Well, you know what? Having an open door policy, yes, I do. But is that enough? Absolutely not. So what I've decided to do, and I'm implementing now, and it's been very revealing, is to take 15 minutes out with each person and ask them four questions. And the four questions go like this. There is, it's coffee with the boss is what it's called. It's 15 minute informal coffee with a boss. Like yeah. And so everybody in the company gets to spend 15 minutes with me every quarter, whether they like it or not. Yeah. Most of them appear to like it. And sometimes they will go on for longer than 15 minutes because the people have got a lot to say sometimes. Uh, but it's about being proactive and saying, well, you know, firstly, how happy are you on a scale of naught to 10 where 10 is ecstatic? Yeah. And um, and to be fair, we get eight between eight and ten is the usual response. Had one ten this morning, which is lovely, and um, and then I'll ask them what's working well at Intergage and what we need to improve, and yeah. then the really big one, which is what do I need to know that I probably don't want to hear, and um, and that's quite revealing. It's a game changer. Yeah, it is because yeah. you know, given that our, our number, I remind them that our number one value is courageous honesty. Uh, but at the same time, I will end that with with their questions, which is exactly the same thing. You can ask me any question you like, and I promise that I will look you in the eye and tell you the truth. And so, um, apart from the what does he or she earn? Yeah, that's yeah, that's the only thing that's up. that's the only thing that is private. But that, even then, I would. So has that proved to be a success? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say it has. I mean, I, I'm filling up my notebooks with feedback that I wouldn't otherwise have got. Yeah. So, and you, so you use it as a constant evolving process mm. to continually evolve Intergage and make sure that, that you stay relevant. Yeah. Well, I think that it's really important. If you're trying to build a, ma a magnetic company, um, then the things that you do to become magnetic probably are very similar, whether you want to become magnetic to talent and retain the great talent that you've got and attract new talent, mm -hmm. or whether you want to attract customers. They have to be able to perceive that there's actually something different and special about this business and that if you're going to keep them, then there have to be great reasons. What is that special thing about Intergage, do you think? What do I think it is? I think it is our transparency, um, you know, and the fact that we're constantly evolving. You know, we do several things which are, I think, are are unique. We have that 10% learning time in the business so that, you know, one hour in every 10 that people get paid for is to learn. And so if you're an eternal student, then yeah, it's a yeah. great place to be because not all businesses allow you to do that. And it's, I think it's really important if you're a leader to, to take time out yourself to learn. And if you engender that, because I've... I've got a couple of sales sales guys now, and one of their appraisal tasks this year, because I run annual appraisals, one of their appraisal tasks is nothing to do with the business, but it's just to read three books. Mm. And I want to know what those books are about, so they can't just go onto the internet and take the back page and tell me that this is the braces of what, what the book's about. But I want to know what they got out of it, what values they got out of it. And it's really interesting to find out which books they've read, which is one of the Sales Change 5 questions which we'll ask at the end of this podcast. Mm. But it's really interesting to find out from my staff which books they're reading because then I can understand sort of how their th their role is formed from the different experiences that they bring in because I read all the time mm. and I've got five or six books on the go and I dip into one and dip into another. And it, it's completely, it, it, it depends on which mood I'm in and which book that I pick up. But I think it's massively important to continually learn. 
I couldn't agree more. All the most interesting people that I know are big readers. Yeah. And there is so much great thinking out there to, to be absorbed. And um, I would love, you know, when I was at school, I was a very reluctant student. Uh, but since I discovered sales and marketing, I've been an eternal student, really. And like you, I'm, I'm constantly dipping into other books. But I always have audio books on the go. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, that. And podcasts. And podcasts, of course. Yeah. Yes. Um, so. And that that is relatively recent. Since podcasts became for me, when po when podcasts became available on Spotify, it was a bit of a game changer, really. Because um, yeah. not being an, an Apple user, um, this was the most convenient I'm way. I'm an to... Apple man through and through. <laughs> Watch, <laughs> phone, iPad. Yeah, I'm, I've got the lot. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of an Android guy. What's more important, sales or marketing? Well, in its true definition, sales is part of marketing. Yeah. And because if you look at the Chartered Institute of Marketing definition, which I still think is a bit crap, really, is the <laughs> it's it's and forgive me if I don't get a word perfect, but it's something like the management process responsible for identifying, anticipating and meeting customer needs at a profit. Now, satisfying, I think, is the word they use customer needs at a profit. And I think the word satisfying is a bit lame. Yeah, it could be fulfilling. Yeah, completely. Yeah, it could be, or it could be for um, for delighting customers at yeah. profit. Because I think we live in a connected world, and I think that in a world where all you do is satisfy customer needs, that kind of leaves customers feeling a bit meh. Really. Yeah, and yeah. I think that in a connected world, um, the one we live in now, then I think it's all about delighting customers to get them talking. You didn't answer the question though. <laughs> uh, I re-ask the question. Sorry, mate. Sales or marketing? Um, well, marketing is more important because sales is a part of marketing. I think yes, I agree. But I think, yeah, they are one and the same in the sense that even within sales, you have to market your brand. And within marketing, you're you're basically setting up the sales process. Yeah. So they are one and the same, but I could probably sell if I didn't have the marketing, but it would take some of my own marketing to, to, to generate that interest. Yeah. Well, I'd, I wouldn't argue that incorporately they're seen as two separate things. Yeah. And once upon a time, as a salesperson, then all I used to pride myself on exactly that. All I needed was a telephone and a business card. So yep. that was the extent of marketing that I needed. And then I could I could make money for my company. Um, I think that today, and in a lot of businesses, it's not quite that simple. No, there are, there are a multitude of tools available. I mean, I do social media videos. You market yourself as, in terms of a personal brand on LinkedIn. You've got your website. You've got literature, exhibitions. There's 101 things you can do from marketing. But ultimately, it does come down to the, the person you are and your own personal brand so that you can people buy from people. So, Which I find when I look at Intergage's website, and I, we're in the process of working with you at the moment, mm. but you get to buy into the people that you're working with. And, and relationships are everything when it comes to the sales process. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can't argue with people buy from people. If you don't trust me, you'll never buy from me. Exactly. Yeah. Do you have clients that don't appreciate the creative process? Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's fair. I think not all people do appreciate the creative process. You know, the process of finding the right picture, for example, mm. there'll be many people who say, well, how can that possibly take two or three hours? Well, have you ever tried to find the right the right picture, get a short list of images that would be the single biggest wow factor that you want to put on a homepage, for example, um, or create that image from scratch? It's, you know, it's something that can take an awful long time. So within your team, do you have specific people that you would go to in order to do that, I mean, the follow-up question to this would be, is youth better than experience? 
is there a creative mind from a young age? So is the question I've got here is, do you think youth is important for innovation or can experience be just as valuable? Well, that's a really interesting question. I think they both have a part to play. And I think that where we are right now, we're in a, in a, a business world where we have different generations that look at problems with different perspectives. And, you know, where we look at, at the the baby boomers, those people who who look at technology and in, in almost slightly aghast, whereas we have the sort of generation X's, those people that um, that have grown up with the landscape that was old, the old school landscape in the beginning and that has morphed to a digital landscape halfway through. And probably in the generation X, yeah. Yeah, and then you've got the sort of the millennials, if you like, who have been born digital. And then you've got a new generation coming through with a slightly different perspective than, you know, Generation Z. Then I think you've got all of these different perspectives to look at problems from. And I think that to answer your question, in terms of creativity, creativity is really problem solving yeah. and using imagination to solve problems. And I, so I think that it's there is no, you know, no one generation has the monopoly on that. But I think that what we need to do is we need to collaborate and we need to, you know, the older people need to explain the business problem for the younger people to engage with that very often, because the, the one thing experience brings is a way of reframing problems uh, yeah. because you've looked at them from many different perspectives. If you can help perhaps the youth to reframe some of the problems, um, then that's great. But also just, you know, there is a degree of reverse mentoring. So it is really important that the young people teach the older people what technology is really capable of in order to help them solve problems. As I well. mean, my son now, uh, he's 13, and he already understands views on TikTok and trying to build. He understands that his, his generation understand that in order to generate interest in himself, he's got to generate views and he's got to generate likes, which is all to do with social media marketing. Mm. When I grew up, I didn't have Facebook, didn't have Instagram. There was none of that social media marketing. And it was just the formation of websites and understanding Google AdWords and, and to try, try and generate interest that way. My mum and dad would have worked in the 1980s with a mobile phone and gone to a phone bank in order to generate sales and generate interest. People before that would have been face to face. So it's, it is problem solving, but in a generational way. Mm. It's massively It's massively important to stay ahead of the trends to understand what's coming down the track. So TikTok, for example, is huge at the moment. Mm. But it's also understanding how the problems were solved using the technology of the day so that you can always, I can always reverse back to using a telephone. Mm. Cold calling is never dead because you, you're connected with the person at the end of the line. But it's generational thing. Yeah, yeah, indeed. So I think that one could argue that the, the older generation has a greater, broader um, depth of skills potentially if they've also adopted the new techniques as well. Yeah, I agree. So digital marketing is a creative industry. Mm -hmm. Where do the ideas come from? Do you have free reign at Intergage to just go off and find different avenues? or? Well, our 10% learning time helps in that respect. So we've, yeah. we've got you know nearly 30 people who are constantly learning new things, which is um, bringing them to the party, which is good. So where do new ideas come from? Um, collaboration is usually the way. We talked about new ideas and innovation. Uh, a lot of innovation is actually recombination. So you're looking at two existing technologies that's, and one plus and one that's equals. That's a soundbite we'll use. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, there are only um, two different types. Uh, one article I was reading the other day said, you know, it is recombination versus the the mega leap, if you like, in yeah. terms of what's possible. So, you know, it's where, where you, for example, um, look at, let's look at 
blog writing, for example. There's a great, a great technology. And let's look at video making. And let's look at AI. Now, if what happens is you can use AI to combine videos and blogs, then what you can do is you can create a product that can read a blog and then fish out you know, different clips of video, glue them together in the right order, pick out the, the right bits of the, the text, put them on top of the video and pretty much present you with a made video from a blog. Yeah. Um, and, and that was one of my favourite bits of technology that I've seen recently. It was like, that's recombination, right? And it's going, yeah, yeah. well, OK, well, these technologies already exist, but let's just combine them in a slightly different way. Yeah. That's fantastic, as opposed to perhaps AI and machine learning itself. But even then, they build on each other. Where do you see the future of digital marketing? Because obviously we're in the social media world now Mm. and moving towards the stuff that you're talking about. But where's the future going? Well, there will be an awful lot of automation. And um, one of the one of the things I'd urge anybody who really wants to have a jaw dropping experience to do is to go and have a look at soul machines and have a look at um, the way that those guys have built. How would you best describe it? Well, you are interacting on screen with an avatar that can read your expressions and can read over 100 micro expressions on your face, can do the same things themselves and will actually start bonding with you because it will mirror your body language, it will mirror your emotions, and it's trying to make you like it. Um, so, you know, that's that, crazy. It is. Yeah. So there is going to be an awful lot of automation. And I think that some of the, the winners in the future were those people who really harnessed that automation um, to make human buyers feel comfortable. Uh, with automation. Do you think the Japanese are way ahead of that? Because I saw I saw a documentary the other day where, uh, and this is completely off-piste, but a, a Japanese guy was marrying an avatar because he'd, he was that connected to it. He was carrying it around in a jar and was watching this avatar female and she would serve him and give him answers to things. So they'd created a bond and a relationship. But do you think the Japanese are way ahead in terms of developing technology or is it the Western world is, is also just as capable? Uh, yeah, I don't think there's any. Yeah, I'm just trying to digest how sad that is that somebody <laughs> could fall yeah. in love with an avatar and um, instead of a real human. I think that's really sad. But anyway, um, you know, I think it's important to be um, to be flawed and to be a, um, a flawed human. Um, you know, that search for perfection is, is is entirely sad. And I think going back to what we talked about earlier with our youth, it's a problem when they grow up in a, a social media world like that. So sorry, I've gone, I've rambled a bit. What was the original question again? Do you think the East or the West is winning or or further ahead in terms of developing? Well, it's an interesting interesting, um, thing. I think probably there's a a conformity that goes with being in parts of the East. You know, there are are phrases like the the nail that stands proud will be hammered down, uh, which doesn't lead to, um, doesn't lend itself to a culture like that of... uh, of going off on your own and uh, being entrepreneurial and um, trying new things um, yeah. versus, you know, obviously they corporately have a lot of technology and they have a government that's kind of allegedly endorses the theft <laughs> of IP around the world. So, you know, perhaps they don't have to be as good at um, technology if what happens is they're really good at stealing somebody else's. Yeah, stealing it allegedly and then using that and repatriating it and recombinating it yeah. to become something yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So, um, but I think there's. I think perhaps we're in the West. If we're being stereotypical, one would say that we're encouraged to be more free thinking. Yeah. Um, but you know, are we achieving the same grades uh, on average as those people? Perhaps in some of these other other areas of the world, no, no. we're probably not. So, Intergage is a local company in Dorset. How do you guys give back to the community? Well, that's an interesting question. 
we focus on working with young people. So a lot of the work we do is through Dorset Chamber, for example, with a, um, with a young chamber initiative. And what we do is we work with schools wherever that, that opportunity presents itself and we can, and we can spare the, the capacity. Um, we go out of our way to go to uh, events that encourage young people to get into the digital industry, to understand the digital industry and work out whether it's for them or not. Um, we try and get involved in careers events and we're particularly close to Paul High School, where I've recently taken up a role as a governor, as well as being a careers and enterprise company advisor, so that I can bring my business network into play. Yep. And I have some, some amazing people in my business network who go into Paul High School on a regular basis and work with those guys. Like everybody else, I guess we also have a charity of the year that we all contribute a day every year to, towards helping. Yep. And so we end up we're currently building a website for Waggy Tales, and last year <laughs> we worked with the My Time charity for young carers in Dorset. Okay, okay. So t- talking of days, this is a, a that's a tenuous link, but you've just switched to four day working. Mm. Yes, oh, we have. How's that going? It's fine. I mean, it's um, I'd say it's better than fine. If, but in terms of my coffees with the boss, when I ask people what's working at Intergage, um, the vast majority of my team, the first thing they say is flexi time. You know, it's hugely, hugely important to them. And um, it's far more so than I ever thought it was going to be when uh, we conceived the idea. And it was actually through working with some people at Bournemouth University, some young people there, that they made it really clear to me that flexi time is really important to them. And so for the, for the listeners of the podcast who don't know how it works, mm. how does it work? Well, basically what happens is that because most of our, our work is, is working on projects and contracts and our guys, provided they fill out their timesheet, have complete flexibility as to when they do their work. We don't insist that they're in the office five days a week. We insist that everybody's in on a Tuesday and Thursday, so we can't go you know, two days in a row without having a meeting if we need to. Um, but other than that, we say that if they want to take you know, if they want to um, manage their time flexibly, it's up to them. So if they want to work four days a week, um, we reduce the contracts down from 37 and a half to 36. So if you wanted to work, for example, four nine hour days, you could do that and then you could have three days off. And that's really, really proved to be the single thing that delights the team more than anything else, that trust. You know, if they're completing their timesheet accurately, then we can afford to let them be the grown ups and manage their own time. Was there anybody against it? Was No, there was a... It was pretty universally positive in feedback across the board, really, the directors, yeah. managers and staff. I and mean, everybody could see the value in it. I think there were a few people that wondered whether we'd actually make that work in terms of, you know, could we still be as productive? But the figures are, are showing us that we are as productive. So you've got metrics to track how much you're generating and, and what the, the, the output has not dropped. No, the output has not dropped at all. And the happiness factor has gone through the roof. Yeah, It makes it easier to recruit when people are you know, looking at one employer versus another one and um, and one has flexible work and the other doesn't, then, you know, for a lot of young people, that's a, a killer differentiator. For sure. Yeah, I mean, we we don't have flexi time working, but we do finish at half past 12 on a Friday, which is, again, it's clinched many a recruitment deal when mm. people have to work till five o'clock on a Friday versus half past 12 on a Friday. The weekend starts early, so it's, it's perfect for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I completely get that. What do you see as your biggest strength in running... Intergage. And you, know, you already know what the follow-up question will be. <laughs> <laughs> I, could, I think my biggest weakness is about to be asked as well. <laughs> uh, so what's my biggest strength? I think my biggest strength is probably, somebody once said the other day that the CEO should stand for Chief Energy Officer. Uh, I thought that was a, a really good thing. So I think the fact that I can join dots together and I can steer the company 
in terms of reinventing itself. You know, we, we've had to do that a number of times in order to stay current is yep. probably a strength. The fact that I do that with a certain amount of integrity in as much as I, I, I encourage complete transparency and honesty in the business at all times. Yep. And, um, and I've recruited a team that believes in that. So I think that's probably my biggest strength. And the follow-up? And the follow-up is I'm not a great completer finisher. Like a lot of entrepreneurs, I'm better at coming up with ideas than I am of getting into the discipline of following through on them. Does that make you good at... Because I, I identify with that as well. And we've had a previous guest on the podcast who joined a company when he was um, in his early or late teens and then has now taken over as managing director. But he worked for an entrepreneur and suffered the same same fate that his boss never completed things, but it was down to him to do it. I come up with some fantastic ideas and we're shifting the the culture and the direction of the company but my attention to detail is just not there sometimes I, I i know what i want to achieve but my greatest skill i believe is getting to people to do things without them thinking it's their that without them knowing that it's not their idea it's my idea so my greatest skill i believe is that i'm able to get people to do things without them realizing that it's not their idea so I generate the idea within their head and then they suddenly are bought into the idea. So I'm able to generate that enthusiasm and that direction through other people. So I, how do you overcome that weakness? Um, by working with people who are complete affinities. Yes. <laughs> so, for example, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm prone, as I'm sure we can, most entrepreneurs are, in trying to squeeze one last thing in before I leave for a meeting. And so opposite me is a complete finisher called Hannah, who will be saying, Paul, you really have to be leaving now to get yeah. to that podcast interview on time. If you leave <laughs> it another two minutes and try and do one more email, you're going to be late. It's your choice. Yeah. And it's like, thanks, Hen. And I'm, I've gone. But she would also make sure if I say I need, uh, I want to have a coffee with a boss and it's going to be at least 15 minutes and I need to schedule that for every person in the company, she will make sure that happens. And then once again, prod me and prompt me to make sure I'm not late for them. Yeah. So having a great completer finisher to compliment you is is something I, you know, well, I must I've give also, myself one of them. Well, <laughs> I mean, Hannah, Hannah, bless her, she fulfills the, a, a lot of the role of a PA. But I was also blessed with a brilliant PA before that, Danny. And I think the minute uh, somebody who's an entrepreneur can afford a, a PA, uh, then yeah. they um, who is a completer finisher, then they should absolutely do it because it will make them. I've a got a few people effective. in mind now, so I might, <laughs> <laughs> I might take that away. Um, so we're coming up to the end of the podcast, and what we do on the Sales Change Podcast is ask f just five same questions, uh, and I'll ask them in any order. Uh, so the first question is: Which leader do you look up to the most? I think. It's a really interesting question. Well, I think if someone asked me which leader do I admire the most, then it's very difficult for me to look past Nelson Mandela. I think yeah. when it comes to suffering and bravery and leadership uh, without violence, then what a great model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is the worst job you could ever think of doing and why? I think that um, jobs are largely attitude. I mean, probably the worst job was when I was between jobs as a teenager, I took a job as a filing clerk. And, and bless them, Lloyds Bank gave me that job. and um, But I was able to turn it something I enjoyed by wearing a trainers to work every day and sprinting and see how many how many more times filing I could do than the people who'd been doing it for years. And I worked out I was doing three to five times as much filing as they were by simply running all day and getting fit. So it was a terrible job, but even then you could make the most of it. I was with reading right a mindset. book recently um, by a guy named Bedros. I can't remember his surname, but he, he got a job 
serving tables in Disneyland. And it was, he thought of it as an awful job, but he made it a competitive element that he wanted to clear the tables quicker than anybody else. And he wanted to have more tables cleared and clean more plates than anybody else. And that's what got him through. I can't imagine working in Disneyland and clearing tables every day. Drive yeah. me crazy, but yeah. Oh, I had another good one as well. That, that was at NatWest Bank, which was uh, in a an underground room with no windows, stamping checkbooks by hand. So literally, ka-chunk, turn the page, ka-chunk, and then file the, the plate away with the account details on, find the next one, and then print another checkbook by hand, one page at a time. And apparently, I needed A-levels to do that job. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what did you want to be when you grew up? A footballer. Yeah. Um, for who? Uh, well, at that stage, it would have been West Ham, but I discovered um, a love for AFC Bournemouth in my mid-teens, and uh, but they weren't a Premier League club, obviously, back in those days, and uh, naturally, I wanted to play for England and play for West Ham. Yeah, I'm a Blackburn Rovers fan, but that's, a, that's another that's <laughs> another we story. Both understand suffering. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, of the four social media networks, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn, which do you prefer? LinkedIn. And um, what's the reason? It's the most business-like of all of them. Um, yeah. Since it since they opened the conversations on LinkedIn, um, you know, the messaging to work better as group conversations, I found it an invaluable tool. Most of my worthwhile communication happens on LinkedIn rather than in my inbox these days. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm a massive LinkedIn advocate. And the final question is, uh, what was the last book that you read? Let's Get Real or Let's Not Play. It's a brilliant sales book, and it was... It was written very much from the angle of somebody using the seven habits by Stephen Covey, mm -hmm. uh, which is my favorite all time book and applying those seven habits to how to sell professionally in a totally zero bullshit fashion. And I would recommend anybody in professional selling today. Read that book. It's awesome. I might have to book that one up. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you, Matt. Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't go anywhere yet. Julio, tell people where they can get more information. If you like the podcast, go visit saleschange.co.uk. That's good, but you said dot, do, dot. Saleschange.co.uk. Why don't you head? No, 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 no. It's bad. <laughs> it's bad. It's bad. It's bad. Go to saleschange.co.uk. Saleschange.co.uk. And subscribe to our incredible newsletter. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.